Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome one and all to the Storybox podcast, the place to be if you are a lover of stories. My name is Joe Phantom, former real estate agent now living my purpose, sharing amazing stories from people all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. My name is Jay Phantom. If you don't know and you are a new listener, welcome so much to the Storybox. Today, my friends, I have a very special guest for you. She's also a very good friend. Now, we actually did a two-parter because we enjoyed having a conversation so much that we needed to talk and dive further into this incredible lady's story. Her name is Nikki Sharp. And after years of working as an international model, Nikki started to realize that she was tired of always wanting to be skinny and started pursuing her new desire in health. Through her new work as a health coach and wellness blogger, Nikki's mission is to spread the knowledge of healthy living for the mind, body, and soul. She's also an acclaimed author, times two best-selling author, of the five-day detox being one of her very first books, previously an international sold ebook that has changed the lives of thousands of people worldwide. The five-day real food detox is now released uh, in book form, which has helped a lot of people live clean and healthy. Nikki is a wellness expert. So soon after becoming a certified health coach and wellness expert, Nikki knew she wanted to spread health to more people than counseling alone would allow. That is why Nikki quickly took to the internet to share her knowledge through health blogging, creating eight recipe and nutrition books, and most importantly, through the five-day detox. She also frequently works as a health coach, both locally and via Skype, to help teach her clients how to change their lives through nutrition. She also develops amazing healthy recipes, which I encourage you all to have a look at as well. And she's also a huge social media influencer. She's got a massive following. Um, So she's grown her online presence exponentially in the last three years since she started her company. Nikki believes in having a transparent brand and an adamant about sharing events, products, and places that she truly believes in. And she's been featured in so many um, magazines. She's been on TV shows. She's been in Women's Health, you name it. Um, I highly encourage you guys to go and check out this incredible human being. This was a very big, deep dive. So I know it's kind of, I put 
part one and part two together. Um, and sort of like we talk about health, we talk about her books, we talk about love and light, what that really means to her, the five-day detox, uh, finding a healthy balance in life, eating disorders, eating addictions, going from being uh, the fitness model to becoming the wellness expert that she is. So really, we dive deep and unbox a lot. This is one of another one of my favorite interviews, actually. So I know you guys are going to love it. If you do get something from it, you guys know uh, I ran, rant and rave about this all the time. But if you want to help spread uh, this community and really uh, change lives for the better, then please share it around to anyone that you know. Copy the link. You can also check out this episode on the website. You can copy that link over and take a photo, put it on social media, spread it around to everyone. Uh, let them know about this episode. Your support is greatly appreciated and also you can watch the full episode on youtube i'll be putting part one and part two together so you can watch it i know it's a bit long but still i'll also be cutting out so like some little bite-sized chunks of goodness that nikki shares uh, but enjoy this episode my friends so you guys know what time it is it's time to dive into the story box and hear the wonderful the amazing story of nikki sharp Thank you. I, I'm like, when people are like, oh, and it was like iTunes top 50. I'm like, my podcast was iTunes top 30. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even know that either. Like, yeah. We're getting into so much good stuff. You're, you're, you're a woman of many, many different talents and yes. skills. You're a very busy lady. So I appreciate you taking the time for me today. Really looking forward to actually diving into and unboxing your story a little bit because there's so much there. I normally have one question though before we dive into all that. Yeah. What does success look like to you? Oh man, that is such a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's actually changed over the years for me because in the past, success was all about it, what achievements did I have, right? Did I hit number one in whatever I was doing or did I download or have a bunch of downloads or XYZ? Success for me now means, do I feel fulfilled with what I'm doing? Do I feel happy and passionate every day that I wake up? And am I happy with the work that I put into whatever it is that I'm doing? Where did this idea of success come from for you? Was, has it been like a gradual thing over time or is there a catalyst moment somewhere in your life? Um, I would say, I mean, this newer version of success for me, I would say really has kind of come about from, from having all these like quote unquote successes and achievements. And as we know in the Western world that it's like, oh, you did that number one bestseller. Wow. And I realized that I was, I was super unfulfilled and I wasn't happy. And from the outside, I looked like I had it all, you know, this thriving career, which I, I had in theory, but it was like I, I, the money, the success, the going on TV, all of that. And I'm like, why do I feel so bad inside? Why do I feel lonely and unhappy? And I realized that I was never really like applauding myself for what I'd done. I was always moving on to the next thing. And, and it was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't hit New York Times bestseller. Well, Oh my God. And I would get really down and out about that. And so I had to kind of, it was really after my second book, which came out, I think two years ago. Um, and I, I just had to do a lot of self work to 
yeah, to, to get deeper into what success was because from the outside, I lived the life that everyone aspires to. And I had all the quote unquote things and achievements, but that doesn't make you always feel very good. I'm curious, what does that actual work look like to get happiness, to get back to a place that you actually feel satisfied, fulfilled? And you mentioned there that you didn't get onto the New York Times bestseller list. So then what? Like that feeling. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, what does that work actually look like? Yeah. The self, the self work, the inner journey. Um, it, it's a bunch of, for me, it's different than what someone else might go through, right? Like we all have our own path that we need to find, but for me, it was really kind of coming into like, what actually makes me feel good every day? What makes me want to get up? because I completely lost my passion for everything that I do. And most people don't really know that, but like, you know, this as an entrepreneur, there's so many days where you're like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and you know, you doubt yourself. So it's just been really focusing on what brings me joy, what brings me happiness. Um, where do I find gratitude in every moment, every day? You know, what am I grateful about my career? And then also setting, setting goals and working towards them, but not doing them alone because that's what I had been doing in the past was writing books, doing all the marketing by myself. Even when I hired a PR team, like I was still in theory doing it alone. And the more, like, I'm almost grateful now that I didn't hit New York times bestseller because I didn't really have anyone to celebrate with. Mm. And, you know, I'm writing, I've written a new book and I, you know, hopefully in the next year or so it'll come out, but I'm like, I would much prefer that one to hit New York times because I now have an amazing team and I have, my friends are incredible. And I would say that the work for me as well was letting go of expectations because we all have such high expectations of ourselves. We, like we don't have expectations. Well, we do have expectations of others, but within our own self and our own life, we, we hold ourselves to the highest standard. And so from my point of view, it was just taking a step back and really being like, okay, like, what do you want to do? Why, like, why do you want to hit New York Times bestseller? Because what I, what I learned was that, yes, it was ego that was like, oh, well, you know, I want to, I want to hit that. And, and there was also genuine, genuineness of being like, I know if I hit it, more people will buy the book. Therefore, more people will get these good messages that I'm spreading. So what I've had to do is shift my perception from the significance driven things that I was doing into purely just a place of giving and serving and bringing value to people's lives. And then I do that because I try to fulfill myself and fill my own tank every day. I like how you mentioned there that we can be our own biggest critic and oftentimes I know for myself that I'm a huge perfectionist and I'm, I'm the hardest person to deal with oftentimes because I, I have such a high standard that I set. And if I don't meet it, I beat myself up all the time, which leads me to a place of unfulfillment, a place of oftentimes feeling down and out Well, not completely out, but just down and out for a couple of days. And I'm just trying to get back to that place of, okay, what is it? that makes me fulfilled again. And you gotta, you gotta, oftentimes I've found that you gotta take a step back and just look at all the things you've actually done 
because we can get so like detached from all the actual good things we've done because we're so focused on the bad and, and the negative. Like it's almost like we're conditioned for that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious for you, have you always been that way? Like when you were growing up, did you always set yourself a high standard? Yeah. Yeah. Far, far too much actually. Like I've always been the person that gets an apartment that I can't really pay for or the car that ugh, doesn't make me feel good. And what I've learned is that when I do that, I actually work harder. I always find a way. And what I love about all the mentors and teachers that I've studied from is they say, you don't need to know the way, you just need to know the goal you're trying to hit. The way, the, the, the way that you're going to get there will really come about. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of pushed myself harder than I should in terms of, let's say, financial aspects or just living my life or the goals that I set you know, and then with that, obviously what comes is a lot of stress and a lot of frustration. And so I've, I've learned to kind of scale it back a little bit and be like, okay, well, like feasibly, what do I want to spend on an apartment that I don't feel uncomfortable with, but I still feel good. Um, so that I can save more, like I've, I've actually shifted my priorities a lot over the, the past few years from, you know, spending too much to get to this goal because I realized a lot of that was significance driven to now I'm like, well, I'm fine to live in a, you know, maybe lesser nice place, even though I just found the most amazing apartment in Miami, but it's a, you know, I'm like, I don't need the nicest car anymore. I'd rather save that money and invest it and really wake up and just be happy every day and not feel like I need to be on the rat race anymore. So the journey for me was actually after my second book, I, I left LA. I uh, sold all of my furniture. My lease was up, sold everything, put the rest of it in storage. And I moved to Paris and I was like, all right, I'm going to just live in Paris now. And it was, it was one of the best years of my life because I just gave up everything that I thought I knew. Mm. And I was like, I'm in a country. I don't know anyone. I don't know the language. I just love it here. And, and I really started to understand my thoughts and behaviors and patterns. And I was able just to slowly work through those through journaling, through meditation, through going for walks, meeting with friends and, and also being halfway across the world from everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. you really like you're isolated and lonely and you're like, okay, so who am I? What do I, you know, what Mm -hmm. am I doing? So that was a a really like intense, but beautiful journey. We, uh, fearful in any way of actually just uprooting your entire life and then totally but I've, I've also done it so many times because of modeling like I've lived in 11 cities over 10 countries so by the time I moved to Paris I was like Meh. like it's a it was a big move um it was probably one of the bigger moves I've done in the past few years moving from London to LA was uh, that was like five or so years ago. That was a pretty, pretty big move because I'd lived in London for three years. Uh, but yeah, I've kind of gotten to this point where I thrive in uncertainty. I almost thrive in uncertainty more than I do in certainty. Cause I'm like the certainty that I get is that I know I will be able to find something amazing in any situation. Mm. So I want to unbox your, you mentioned there that you worked as a model in many different countries. So I want to ask you going way back to how you grew up, what did you always see yourself as like, what were your dreams, your, your goals back then? 
uh, what was your ideal career path that you wanted to take? <laughs> it was modeling. It was, you know, when I was seven years old onwards, I had the 90 supermodels, you know, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, they were all plastered on my wall, all, all the photos. And I got all the magazines delivered and I just, I was obsessed with them because I, they were so beautiful and glamorous and, I didn't, you know, at that young of an age, you don't really know any better of anything, but that was my goal. Even when I was 15, um, my mom had to bring me to the modeling agency because, you know, they have to co-sign that you're, because you can't drive. And I, I pursued modeling, but I also just deep down, let's say my subconscious or, you know, that intuitive voice always said, get an education, mm. never just be a model. And so my my mother agency, she wanted me to go travel to Asia when I was like 17, 18. And I told her, or and then, you know, 19, I went to LA, did an exchange program out there for a year. And and I just said, look, I'll go when I graduate college. But until then, I'm I'm not. So I was I was like old when I started the international modeling circuit at 20, 21 years old. I was old. Mm. What did you learn yeah. about being an actual model? Like, what is that industry like? Because it, it is like, yeah, I've heard a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot of things about it, but what was, what was your experience like? So, you know, we hear all the horror stories. We don't hear a lot of the good things, unfortunately. The good side of it is you meet amazing people. You get to travel the world. You become friends with just incredible women that you live with in the model apartment. You do get, you know, fantastic jobs. Like I had billboards all over China that I went and <laughs> I remember they came out and I stood in front of them because they were like big and small ones. And I would like stand in front of them like, <laughs> and literally not one person recognized that I was the same girl. Um, but yeah, so there, there are some really incredible things and, you know, just getting to travel different places, like kind of free, like you're on, you're not paying to, to go to these places. Um, you know, the horror stories obviously are that you get measured every inch of your body. You always have to maintain a certain weight. Yeah. I was like measured on my, my neck, my waist, my arms, my, I like, I had an agency tell me with on my legs that they wanted my, my lower thigh by my knee to gain weight, but not my upper thigh. What? Uh, they wanted, yeah. They <laughs> wanted me to gain weight in, uh, in my arm, no, in my boobs, but not my arms. Like I kid you not, you're just like, okay. How the um, does that work? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I left the agency. I moved to another country at that point. Um, you know, there's because of the the pressure to remain thin, you you know, models do obviously go through eating disorders pretty prevalently, which is I went through two eating disorders during that time. Um, I had anorexia and binge eating disorders. So and I'm very vocal about it now because my mission is just to help people and I've I've cured myself of those. So um you know, the, the other challenging aspects too, is like, you're traveling all the time and you, like, you'd go into the model apartment and your roommate, you're competing with for jobs. So you're crushed when she gets it, but like, you're still friends. And then sometimes, you know, you have girls from different countries and there's certain countries that like, you just didn't want to be in a model apartment with them. Um, some people were super 
disrespectful. You go on jobs and they, they won't feed you for hours at a time. And then when they finally feed you, it's really shitty junk food. So like, there's a lot of bad things, but there's also, there's a lot of amazing things too. And it's, it is sad that the industry has such a bad name to it, but that being said, like, I don't encourage anyone, any girls to like actively go into the modeling industry unless they have a really good family for support because like I didn't have that. And that's where it became really tough when you don't have the support around you and you're in countries by yourself and like, you know, you've just worked a 14 hour day. It's, it's challenging. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like I can, I can relate to the anorexia and binge eating part. Um, even though I wasn't a model, I happened to go down a very different road, but I still ended up with um, binge eating and anorexia. Mm. I went from 72 kilos of pure lean muscle to 53 kilos of just Whoa. stick. Like, wow. You, someone, like, you could put your hand around my, my bicep yeah. and arm. And you'd still have enough room. It was kind of crazy. Um, and I just noticed, like, for me, I realized that eventually something had to change. Like, I, I ended up in hospital for, like, nine days as a result of my stupidity. And it wasn't the fault of anybody else. It was, like, my own my own choices. Uh, but what, what I want to know for you, Nikki, is did you ever get sick of the modeling, the the control aspect of, of them trying to control your body in the way you looked? Yeah. I mean, I think that I wouldn't say that I ever had so much issue directly with them as much as it was the pressure that I put on myself. Mm. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, and, and this goes for anyone in any circumstance, like no matter what industry you're in or, you know, if you're in school or not, is like, we tend to, we tend to care about what other people think so much. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the only reason that we care about what they think is because we don't feel confident in ourselves. And so, because I didn't feel comfortable and confident in myself, you know, if someone said like, oh, you need to gain weight here, here, here. I was like, oh, even though I actually thought I looked really good, I was way too skinny, but for the modeling world, I was, I was okay. Like I, I went down to 45 kilos at my lowest, <laughs> which was not good. Um, but I, I kind of had an automatic trigger that said, I will not get less than 45. So I never went into that like super dangerous route. The only time it went into the dangerous route for me is when I was just consistently binging and restricting because, you know, you like binge on sugar and alcohol and all these things. And then you're like, or at least that's what I did. And then I just felt awful. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I believe that it's hard because obviously the agencies do tell you different things. And like, I would go from, I went from South Korea where they were the ones being like, can you gain weight here, here, and here? And then I went to Bangkok where they actually wanted me to gain a few pounds. And so for for me, it was like, I was my own worst critic and it was just a matter of like, it was control. It was, I was trying to control all of these things and traveling and not feeling good about myself and this career that I was in. Um, and feeling terribly lonely and, and having so much uncertainty 
that mm. the only level of certainty that I had was right through the food. And that's where we know like eating disorders, it has nothing to do with the actual food. It It's all about what are you trying to control in your life? Mm. And so when I started, you know, when I went into the health industry and learning about it, that's really what I, I started understanding was just that it was, it was me trying to control the uncontrollable. <laughs> they always say control where you can control, right? And yeah. oftentimes that for some people, they, they see that as being super difficult. I know yeah. that was the case for me. It's like, no, I want to control everything. Yeah. I don't want to just control one thing. I want to control pretty much everything that's going on in my life, which is just leading me further down the rabbit hole of feeling worse. And um, I feel like a lot of young people, they compare themselves to what social media, what, you know, models look like, the whole bit. Like it's that, that sense of, you, you know, um, you look a certain way, but what they don't understand is that that person has spent hours, you know, being decorated the photography the lighting the photoshop the photoshop Photoshop, uh, yeah like real inner beauty it it's like what is it these days you know you just gotta question that for yourself and um i know that i struggled with my own self-worth and my own belief for such a long time but when i realized for me it was many different reasons but it was having a good support network around me, like mm-hmm. you were alluding to, that you didn't have. But for me, I had people telling me all the time. I just didn't listen. I was a stupid one. <laughs> but- I, so I, I would, I would not say you were stupid. And and interestingly enough, this is what I coach people through: is you're you're actually putting yourself down by by saying I was stupid because you weren't. You you just didn't know any better at that point. And right now, when you say that I was stupid, there's still a level of judgment there. Yeah, like, because I know what I was doing was wrong, it, mm-hmm. but I just believed in that moment that it was right. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, I think it was, I, if I had have listened, well, where would I be? Like, I look at it differently in, in a sense now that I'm sort of thankful that I, I kind of went through it because yeah. now I can relate to so many different people and now I can help people. And I guess there is that little bit level of judgment because it is, it was a sort of shameful thing to go through yep. at the time. And like when people, <laughs> when people say like, oh, you went through that, are you still, you still like that now? I'm like, no, but, <laughs> like no way. But um, I want to ask you, Nikki, what was the catalyst for you to sort of get into nutrition, get into wellness, get into your books move away from modeling. What was it for you? Very much what you said, like how you, you were hospitalized. I was, I was never hospitalized for the eating disorder because there was a six month waiting list. (laughs) I was like, uh, mate, I don't have six months here. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. So I was living in London at the time. Well, I had, I was living in New York and that's where my binging got really, really bad. And I was living with a roommate who did crack cocaine every night and lived with her boyfriend. And we were in this tiny little New York apartment. And I just felt very taken advantage of by my modeling agency. And, you know, you talk about not really having support or any of these things. Um, 
and then, you know, this crazy roommate and, and I've been, I've just, I've been like a, a nice bubbly person my whole life. And I had, I taught myself yoga. And so I was teaching, um, her boyfriend yoga and she would just get super angry at me. And so it was just like, it was the perfect storm for me to just soothe myself in food and then restrict because I felt so guilty the next day. Um, I went to, I went back to Colorado. She kicked me out of the apartment after she saw me teaching him yoga one day. And so I, I went back to Colorado where I'm from and I, I chose, I was like for 30 days, I'm going to cook all my own meals. I didn't know how to really cook and like, you know, basic, just like put a salad together sort of thing. Um, and, so I, I said I would do that and then that I would get outside and get fresh air for exercise every day for 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, I felt miraculous, just incredible. And I was like, wow, what, what just happened? Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to move back to London at that point. And I kind of, you know, I had, I have a lot of internal conversations with myself and I was like, all right, Nikki, well, um, you know, you can move anywhere in the world. Where do you want to go? I said, I want to go back to London. Um, and I started looking into becoming a personal trainer because I was like, well, I love fitness. My stepdad is from like, my whole family is in the fitness industry in one way or another. And I was like, cool. Um, so I started that and I just, I never really like found my way into it. It wasn't my passion. But then I went to a nutrition course and I fell in love with it. It just, that was my calling. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went into the deep end and I I studied um, raw foods, got a certification that, studied sports nutrition, nutrition for everyday living. Then I became a certified health coach over a year program, Um, you know, and, and then later subsequently studied meditation and then became a yoga yoga teacher, did my vegan chef training, like all these different things, modalities. Um, and I, I chose not to go down the specific nutrition route for four years because my whole standpoint in coming in with the eating disorders was food is not going to heal me. Like food is one aspect that will heal me, but it's not just about the food. And so I didn't want to go teach people solely about food because my journey was into the mind, into the body, and you know, all these different things, um, you know, exercise, all of it combined. So as I learned more, I, I actually started an Instagram account when I was in Colorado doing my 30 day challenge, because funny enough in 2013, I was starting to post food photos on my, my personal account. And I had friends be like, Nikki, we love you, but, um, why are you posting your food? Nobody cares what you're eating. Go figure that was 2013 and where we are now today. <laughs> so I, I was like, well, fine, I'm going to start a new account. So I, I started a new account and I named it Skinny Mini Me XOXO. And it was all about my eating disorder. And I would post, you know, girls' photos that inspired me getting strong and healthy and inspirational quotes. And I would post headless body shots of myself because I didn't feel comfortable. Like I, I could be vulnerable and talk about my body and everything I was going through without ever feeling like people judge me because, Oh, well, she's just a model, Uh, uh, you know? And so the account started growing just the more that I learned, I I shared the, the knowledge that I learned. And then, yeah, I started hitting the popular page like two times a day back when there was a popular page because I was doing something totally new and I was being authentic and I was, helping people, um, 
you know, through their challenges and, and people were coming to me for, I mean, it was crazy. Men and women were coming to me and telling me their deepest, darkest secrets about their lives. And I realized at that point that, you know, there was something in this for me. And I felt such, such a sense of pride to be able to help someone through, like just to even listen to someone. Um, and I had one woman actually, and my, my first book was dedicated to her. I, I, we haven't spoken in years after this, after she came to me, but she started coming to me and telling me how she would go through the McDonald's drive through with her son and she was overweight and her son would just be crying and that he would be begging her not to eat the food. And she would do that. Um, and she said, Nikki, you know, you're, you're my hope, my only hope. I don't know what else to do. Whatever you tell me I'll do. And so we had beautiful conversations and intuitively it's like, I kind of just knew what to ask her and be there for her. And, and I realized from that, that that's what I was just like, if I could do this for the rest of my life. And I didn't know what that meant exactly, but it was like, if I can help people through the shit that I went through, I was like, sign me up. I wanted, and obviously there were iterations of my career. And like, I never in a million years thought I would be where I am today. Never. Mm. But, and I didn't plan for that either. I've like, I've never had a business plan or anything like that. Um, I've just kind of gone with the flow, but that's, that's the long version of, of, uh, Oh no, I didn't even answer your real question though. So when I got to London, I went to, um, an eating disorder clinic and they told me it was a six month waiting list. So the doctor put me on antidepressant medication and I was like, well, I'm not like depressed per se. I mm. just need to figure out what's going on in my mind. Um, I need to talk to someone and, and therapy wasn't really covered at this, at this point, you know? Um, yeah. So I just, I ended up uh, doing this deep dive into, like I signed up for a triathlon I started going to these nutrition courses. I was really engaging on this Instagram channel. Um, and, and this is to kind of preface with, I had insomnia for seven years. I was on sleeping pills for five of those years. I was on Roaccutane or Roaccutane for your viewers, uh, Accutane, you know, for the West, uh, three times by the time I was 21. And my dermatologist said, you're probably just going to have to be on it for the rest of your life. Um, I went, I was hospitalized twice for insomnia for, because even though I was taking sleeping pills, I was never, I was never actually sleeping. Like I never woke up refreshed. And so I went to a sleep study in New York where they hooked up electrodes all over my head. And I walked every time I'd walk out, they'd be like, you just need to stress less. I did CBD meditation. I did, you know, valerian root, melatonin, chamomile tea, this, that, and I'm like, none of it worked. Literally none of it worked. I did yoga and it wasn't until I really started focusing on my happiness, did the insomnia stop? And then I didn't care about my body so much. I didn't care about the binges. It was just, so I shifted everything to, you know, food, nutrition, happiness, all of that. And it's been, a, I mean, it's a long journey, right? But that's, that's a more full answer. The long, long answer. <laughs> I know completely. And I, I relate to that, that story uh, quite a bit. Um, and it's funny how, you know, you, I like how you said that it's not just about food. It's about the the mindset, the, what, what goes up here. And I think if we can look at food a different way, then we're able to 
progress forward in, in our life um, with with like binge eating and, and yeah. overcoming that, which is what I had to do uh, first and foremost. Yeah. I actually learned how to cook in hospital, funny enough. Uh, wow. I will use the term, I binge watched um, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, my God, that's like, amazing. Because <laughs> I didn't have anything to do. I spent nine days. Yeah. Uh, most of most of the time was in absolute utter, utter agony, and then wow. after after that, I would just you know sit there on on the on the bed watching Gordon Ramsay on, on TV, and um, I'm like, well, you know what, I have a problem with food, so I'm going to turn this negative into a positive. And I started, I started memorizing all his recipes and and <laughs> a visual learner too, and then yeah. when I got out of hospital, I started immediately experimenting. And my parents thought I was being a bit dangerous, but um, because I would experiment on them, like give them the food, like this is not poison, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> and ended up being um, quite quite a little bit of success and, and quite a little bit of a niche for me because yeah. I found that when I was cooking, I was, it's kind of like therapeutic in many that, That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I just thought this is weird. Um, but it works. Like it made me happy and I was, I was able to control what I was putting in my mouth. Then I was able Mm -hmm. to control if it was healthy or not, rather than just me going to the shop and buying what was on the shelf and eating all that and hoping, hoping to God that, you know, I didn't gain any weight and stretching and freaking out and so you, you brought up two really good points there. And um, one of them, this is why I'm always teaching people, you know, count colors. It's the easiest way to lose weight, feel great, reduce cravings, have more energy, but not just count colors. It looks better on a plate. And, and you'll know this, right, about Gordon Ramsay and cooking, but it's everything that I share in, with my audience is that when you just like throw things together, just, you know, whatever, it's not appealing. And when it's not appealing, we're more likely to binge it versus if you actually take the time to like make it look pretty. I I always tell people to take photos of your food because if you take photos of your food, you naturally are going to make it look a little bit nicer, which is like ironic that, you know, maybe I started that trend actually taking photos of food. (laughs) You probably did. (laughs) I probably did. Right. In 2013. Um, because I started telling people, you know, take photos of your food. It helps you to really put together a plate that will make you feel great. Man. I'm like spitting out all these like quotes. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I was going to say that. And then the other thing that you mentioned too, is, you know, like controlling what you eat and you can put the right things. So I have a little a, a question that I ask people and there's no wrong answers. I'm just going to give you my answer at the end of it. But what is the worst thing for your health that you can put in your mouth? Ooh, um, sugar. Okay. It's a little bit of a trick question. Yes, I, I agree. And the worst thing though is bad thoughts, bad talking bad to yourself. Uh, the, the words you say to yourself are far worse than any single item that you will ever ingest, including drugs and sugar and all that. In because when we talk to ourselves and we say, oh, I shouldn't have sugar. Oh, and actually my post that's going up tomorrow is about our oh, desserts bad for you. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> because the thing is, no, desserts are not bad for you. Do you ever go to like, you go to Italy and they have these 
beautiful dishes of pasta and then, you know, tiramisu and they drink wine with it. Same with France with their crepes and the cheese. And, and it's like they're, they don't have a bad mentality with food because they never tell themselves, oh my God, I shouldn't be doing this. So the thoughts that you say, or the, you know, the words you say to yourself, whether you actually say them out loud or you just think them because you think if I'm thinking them, I'm still technically ingesting them into my entire body because our, our mind is connected to our body. We, the thoughts we think get stored as emotion in our body. We know that that's when you go to yoga and you do hip openers. Suddenly you find yourself like bawling, crying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so when we focus less on, Oh my God, I shouldn't be having sugar because sugar itself is not really bad for you. If you eat it in really just normal quantity, like, you know, small, but like but when you sit there and say, oh my God, I shouldn't have done this. Oh, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to binge now. I screwed up anyways. Right. And then the judgment cycle, because then once we start talking bad to ourselves, our body is in our sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. And when we're in fight or flight, our digestion stops. It's the, the analogy, you know, for all of the paleo people out there is like, if a bear comes you're going to freak out and probably run away. Well, the the first thing in the body that gets turned off is your digestion because your body is so smart that says, okay, cool. We don't need to digest food. We got to run. And so when we go through that in day-to-day living, and here's the crazy thing, when your cell phone goes off, it puts you into your sympathetic nervous system. What like literally when you get dings and alerts, when your alarm clock goes off and it's eh, eh, it puts you, it starts your day in the sympathetic fight or flight. And so what happens when you're in fight or flight is your cortisol levels rise. And so when your cortisol levels rise, again, that's where you get that layer of fat around the tummy or the hips that people are like, I just can't get rid of it. And then I say, well, how stressed are you on one to 10? So it's things like that, that it's like, no, sugar is, is like, and I don't disagree with you, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, that's why it's a trick question. It's like, no, sugar itself is not bad for you. Alcohol is not bad for you. It's when you ingest it too much because you think you shouldn't do it, or you then, yes, have an addiction to it. But how do we get addictions? Mm. Because of the mind. Mm. Yes, I mean, yes, sugar is ridiculously addicting. We know that. Um, it's more, more addicting than cocaine. <laughs> but that being said, if you're not eating packaged food, but that's, it's a little bit, I said, trick question because we've gone about this nutrition thing way wrong. <laughs> I like the question. It, you got yeah. Feel free to use it. <laughs> you, you got me. Um, I normally have a trick question that I ask people as well. Um, I've only asked it like to three, four people now uh, on, on a podcast setting. And right. I might ask you a bit later, but I want to okay, bounce okay. <laughs> off, I want to bounce off your your thing about the words that we we tell yeah. ourselves. The moment we tell ourselves something, it goes into our brain. We yeah. the more we think about it, the more persistent we are at thinking about that thought. It hasn't become a belief yet, but the more times that we actually tell ourselves that thought, we're persistent at telling ourselves that, which means it will be consistent at, at it, which then means we're going to create a belief, which then means it is harder to actually get rid of it. And people, Mm -hmm. when they go from a thought to a belief, they're more likely to actually do something with it rather Mm -hmm. than there are like, it it will, a belief will impact their emotions more than just a thought. Like I like how you said the thoughts will impact your nervous system and fight or flight, all that sort of stuff. 
But on another extreme level, there's people out there, and I know this to be true because it happened with me, when you actually make it into a belief and you're consistently mm-hmm. telling yourself this is what I believe to be true, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's when they, you get into a whole new level. And I came up with this, with this method I call the CAP method, which basically helps me and how I hope it helps other people as well to get over, overcome. I don't really believe you can get truly over everything. You can overcome it. But when it comes to like depression, anxiety, stress, addictions, uh, this method has helped me. Uh, so basically C stands for choice, A stands for acceptance, and P stands for persistence, which then leads mm-hmm. to one of my other sayings, which is be persistent to remain consistent. So going back to choice, I, I understand that life ultimately is a gift. It's free will to choose what I want in my life. And I have a choice whether or not I want to accept my reality being the way that it is right now. So my belief system, all these things, I have a choice to believe it or not or to accept that it is what it is. Or I can accept that I can change and that's my choice. But i got to start by making the choice to change in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then i got to be persistent at it. Not going back to the original thoughts, i got to be persistent at moving forward, which then allows me to be consistent. See, consistency is the flow and effect of being persistent. That's the way. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I realized that, um, you know, because I've been through eating disorders, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, stress, and I've looked at it from, from that lens and I've gone, well, this is, this is, this worked for me. And every single day that I get up, I'm doing the cap method. I'm like, okay, well, it's my choice to feel this way, to accept that today I want to feel negative or I can accept the good things in my life. And when you're dealing with traumas and all that sort of stuff, like I get it, it's hard. But at the end of the day, you have a choice to remain there or you can overcome it. Um, and yeah. that's where the cap comes in. So just tightening the cap every single time by being persistent, you know, that's that's really the key. So I thought I'd share that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting is I have... I think anytime you've gone through a self-discovery and journey like this, and we haven't, and here's the thing, everyone thinks that they're alone in suffering. Mm. Every single person is like, oh man, like I, I really have a bad, nobody understands how bad it is. Mm. And it's like, correct. And you also don't know how bad my suffering is because we never actively share how bad things are in the moment. And we can't perceive what what level it is because we all have different tolerances, right? So that being said, we as humans all suffer and we've all chosen, you know, whether you believe in God or, you know, the universe or, or maybe not, right? We're just people here, whatever it is. We are here to learn lessons, to grow, to be on this planet for a reason. And we will all go through a tremendous amount of quote unquote suffering in our life in order to grow into the person that we're meant to be. Like I look at who I am now and I'm like, man, as hard AF as everything is that I went through. And I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, truly anybody. 
I wouldn't go back and change any of it. Mm. Not one single day because I love who I am today. Mm. I love who I am because I've worked through it and I've gone through this journey. And as you said, like there's so much compassion and empathy for people that I'm like, I don't you, you can do the worst things, quote unquote. And I still have compassion and empathy for you because I know that whatever you did was based on either a limiting belief or a subconscious belief. Um, so the, the way that I teach it is same, same, but different, right? A little bit that we have our, our subconscious mind, which is the back of our head and mm-hmm. your subconscious mind are the beliefs and you don't know what they are because they're in the back of your mind and you cannot see the back of your head. So then your, your belief system, which is deep rooted in this subconscious, which scientists have said is 95% of the brain. We only know what 5% of the brain is actually doing at any given time. Your beliefs then come into the front, which is your thoughts, which are the things that we're conscious of, which you can see in the mirror, right? You talk to yourself, your thoughts become your words. You Mm -hmm. speak out loud. So for example, your subconscious belief might be, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be liked because I'm overweight. Could be, and you don't even know that that's there because mm-hmm. it was something that got built in. My parents didn't love me because I was overweight. And then your thoughts constantly are like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fat, I'm fat. Well, I'm on this diet, it's not gonna work. Or, oh, fuck it, I, you know, I screwed up, I'm, right? And then your, your actual thoughts became, become the same thing where you tell people that like, oh, I'm on a diet, oh, I don't know. Your, your words then become your actions. Mm. So the very thing that you go and do. So if you're, you know, you binge because screw it. Well, I messed up your actions then become your results and your results become your destiny. And so people have it all backwards saying, Oh, I'm going to go on a diet. And it's like, well, no, you really should look at what's going on where the destiny is right now, because your destiny is correlated to the back of your mind, to those subconscious beliefs that you don't even know what they are. And that's why you have to do the inner self work is because it's not about, Oh, another diet. Oh, I'll be pretty. Oh, I'll feel good. It's, and like you and I have done this journey through anorexia and everything, which is hard as hell, but you have to really get into the mind to understand why do I not like myself? Mm -hmm. Because inherently we, we all have that. We don't like ourselves until we do the self-work to mm. learn how to like ourselves. I've always said that words are cheap. Actions are expensive. So yeah. If you say something, but don't follow it up with action, it's just cheap. Like it's easier yeah. to say than, than do something. But I like what you mentioned there that you wouldn't change anything for the world, which actually leads me to my trick question. Would you rather sink or swim? Swim. Why? Because sinking, sinking. Well, I guess it, yeah, it depends on the context of it, right? Am I going to die if I sink? So <laughs> um, as, as, a, as a human being, what's the first yeah. thing that you learn to do? Do you learn how to swim first or do you learn how to sink? When you get, when you, when you first learn how to, when you get put in the water, do you automatically know how to swim? Oh no, you, I mean, you, yeah, you you sink. sink. You sink. Yeah. So in life, I always Mm. say that it is better to Uh, sink. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking, yeah. yeah, Well, if, if, as long as I'm not dying, right. But I, I hear you because (laughs) that's what I was thinking. If I sink, it means that I have the opportunity to come back up. 
there's like I always say as well. So you got sink, swim, or drown. So mm. drowning is is the death part. But when you learn how to sink, you're not. Your choice is to keep climbing to the surface because you know obviously we need to we need to swim. That's that's just part of life. But also learning how to sink teaches you a lot more about life yeah. than yeah. what swimming actually does. So, it, it, you know, I get asked a lot about business and I do a lot of business coaching as well for corporations because they want to know how did I build this brand? How can, you know, how can I implement that success to other people? And I, I love doing it, um, helping others with that. But one thing that I've I've really kind of started to understand is people talk about like, oh, what are your successes? How have you gotten there? Where so few people talk about how about all the times that I've failed, like quote unquote failed, because those are much more interesting to me than all of the successes because all of the failures, all the times I've been told no, all of the times I've told myself no, all of those have amounted far more to who I am today than all of these successes that I've had. Because yeah. the successes only came from all of the failures and picking your ass up and being like, all right, going to do it again. Exactly. One foot in front of the other. <laughs> 100%. So I always say as well that in failure, you learn one of life's most greatest lessons, which is humility. It's mm-hmm. so much about life and how to move. Mm-hmm. Nikki, um, you've written two best-selling books. Uh, what are the titles of those, firstly? The titles are, and I'll show you everyone here. I don't know if they're back to front, but those are the two. So the first one that I wrote is the five-day real food detox. And this was a plan that I created in 2013. Um, the, the quick backstory of it was that I, I was a broke model, didn't have money, didn't have a big kitchen, didn't know how to cook. And I was teaching myself how to cook, much like we talked about in the in the last episode, right? Where it was like, you know, you're exploring and I was really into nutrition. So I knew enough now at this point, but there, there were only a few detoxes on the market. It, juicing wasn't even a thing yet. It, like Maja, like this was years ago. And so there was Shape Magazine. And so it was Christmas time. Uh, I was feeling lethargic, bloated. My skin was bad. I was drinking, you know, cause you're going to Christmas parties. I was drinking too much. And I just, it wasn't so much about weight loss. I was like, I just feel like shit about myself. I just want to feel better. And so shape magazine had a detox plan that was like eat six ounces of salmon and six spears of asparagus for dinner. And I was like, um, a, I don't eat fish and B that sounds horrible. <laughs> and so I, and then the other one was the Gwyneth Paltrow and Alejandro Younger, uh, 21 day, I forget the name of it, but it was a 21 day cleanse of like, you know, satchels and things that you took. And it was $400. And I was like, I don't have $400 and I don't want to do a cleanse for 21 days. I was like, I want to do like wham, bam, in and out. I like feel great. So I wrote this program with everything that I had learned and studied. And I was also channeled from a higher power. Like this plan was delivered through me. And so I wrote it. And part of the reason I wrote it as well was because I was really scared of carbohydrates at the time. And so I was trying to get over this fear of like, oh, don't eat carbs. They're bad. So I wrote this plan. It's all about flooding your body with good food, delicious tasting, five meals a day, 
loads of nutrients. So your skin gets better. You have more energy. You sleep better. You, you just feel happier. Mm. Um, you eat lots of carbs, but they're the correct sort of carbs that your body needs for a vital life. And from doing all of that, uh, I sold it as a, a PDF on Instagram before there was even the link in bio. And the very short of that is that, you know, when I made my first like two sales, I was like, amazing. This is like, raise the roof. Um, then I had so many people messaging me because it works so well. And like, you would email me, I'd email you the PayPal invoice, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I got, I just, I have to get this online. So as soon as I I'd made $200, I was stoked. Uh, and then ended up getting it online and I made $4,000 by the end of the month of, of a, an $8 PDF, right? Like that's how much it worked. And so, and I was one of the first people to really do a program that was accessible, that taught you how to cook easy, quick, you know, delicious foods. Um, cut to that sold a hundred thousand copies of an ebook worldwide. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I had multiple doctors and nutritionists and dietitians write off on the plan and give it the A okay. Uh, so then I turned it into an app uh, in the app store globally that it hit number one in six countries in 24 hours, which was like crazy. And then I wrote the book, Random House bought the rights to the book as well as another one. So that's, it's my baby. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, I, I say to people, you can do anything for five days, mm. anything. Mm. I, maybe don't go take a bunch of drugs for five days, but <laughs> the healthy things. Do the so, right things. Yeah, yeah. Do, do the right things. We can talk about what the right things are. So did that. And then this was the second book, uh, Meal Prep Your Way to Weight Loss. And the title is a bit deceiving. We, we did it that way because at the end of the day, most people who are looking at the diet section want to lose weight. But the book came out when the whole industry started shifting to, you know, strong and let's be healthy. And no, like literally nobody would talk about weight loss anymore. It was like passe, you couldn't do it. And so the book, it was frustrating because all of these magazines were like, we can't, we can't write about it. And I'm like, but your readers read your magazine because they want to lose weight anyways. So, um, but this book is a four week meal plan. And I, I mean, I wrote this with an Excel spreadsheet, every single, like mean, okay, if you're having this for lunch, you can't have that for dinner and like avocado, you can't have too much. we got to balance all the Mac, like that Excel spreadsheet kicked my butt, honestly. Um, and so to end my long story is that this one, I go into, uh, superfood, super. So, and so, you know, you always hear the term a superfood. Mm. So I wanted to break it down and say, well, what, what exactly is a superfood and why do you need to take it? So instead of it, it's not about adaptogens or mushrooms or, you know, any of that it's what are the super grains that you should be taking? What are the super vegetables, the super fruits, the super herbs and spices, things like that, that will nourish your body the most with the quickest punch with the least amount of effort. And so wrote that. I mean, I talk about like emotional eating in this one. Um, there's loads of, re there's a hundred recipes. So those are my two babies and I love them. And I just wish more people would read books right now. <laughs> is there another one on the cards? There, so there is, it's not health related. Um, I, when I moved to Paris a few years ago, when I like picked up and moved and sold all of my stuff from LA and left, I started journal journaling and my agent uh, at the time was like, why don't you just keep a journal of this? Pretty interesting what you're doing because 
not everyone just picks up their life as a successful person and is like, well, I'm going to sell everything and just go eat, pray, love my way to Paris. <laughs> so did that. And uh, the story, I wrote it for a year while I lived in Paris, London, and Bali. Crazy. Um, traveled all over the world for Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership. And I taught, it's such a, a deep, intimate look into like, yes, my life, but when you see someone six from success on the outside, like what's really going on, I talk about relationships really vulnerably stuff with my parents, with my now it's boyfriend stuff with myself, learning, learning self-love and all of these things that people think you have your shit together. And I was like, I don't, I don't have my shit together. I'm learning how, and I'm taking you with me in the process. So it's currently still in journal format. Um, the notes that I got from editors were saying, kind of, you basically need to write the book. I just didn't know if I turn it into just eat, pray, love, like a story, or if I do it more self-help. So the way that I tout this one is it's eat, pray, love meets Eckhart Tolle with a sprinkle of sex in the city. I love it. It sounds very, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, in the process so of writing. I have three ideas for three books. I'm in the process of trying to finish the first one. And this morning, actually, I came up with another idea for another book. So I've written, I've written out the title and I've got all the notes in yeah. that. And the last, the other one that I have is actually more of a novel sense, but with like life lessons that are pretty powerful because I love writing. Nice. I feel like I have so much to do, but it's so hard to actually write a book. So how yeah. long did it take you to write your first book as opposed to writing your second book? They, I mean, they were actually pretty similar. Um, I mean, let's see my, I had, I want to say I had seven months to write them. What I did that worked really well for the first book though. And this is where the first book was a little bit different, not both of them, but I had already had the sales of the ebook of the detox. I already knew all the questions that people asked. And so I then went and said, Hey, you guys have done the detox. What questions have I not answered? And I got, I compiled hundreds of questions. And then what I did was I categorized them into different themes. And then that became each chapter. And mm -hmm. so the book was literally written by people's questions. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I love. It was really fun. Um, the second one, maybe they ended up being like seven, eight months. You always kind of push your deadline, but it's, like what I would say for you with writing, and I'm happy to send you my, I wrote a whole book, book masterclass on how to write a book in, in 24 hours. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Awesome. After. Um, and so I, and I did that because I had so many people coming to me and it's like, all right, well, I want to write a book. And I'm like, well, who are you going to sell it to? Because mm -hmm. if you don't have your brand in order and someone to sell it to, you've now done all this work and it's a lot, it's literally every time I write a book and do it, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. Never. Mm -hmm. And then you do the next one and you're like, no, I'm definitely never doing that again. Um, because you think the writing process is hard. The, each, the writing process is hard because you rewrite your ideas and we're all perfectionists. And then you get to the next level, which is the editing. And the editing sucks. Yeah, it keeps it's, you back to life. Yeah. You're like, I never want to see this project again. And then you think that it's all said and done. You get the book. You're like, oh my God, it's my baby. And then comes the marketing and the marketing sucks your soul, yep. sucks your soul dry. And you're like, I'm never doing that again. 
And then you realize that you help a bunch of people and you're like, damn it, I think I have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> go back down the rabbit hole. Here yeah, but I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll send you. So the book masterclass, what, it's uh, $49, $49.99. And the whole thing with that is I actually give you my proposal that got me 21 publisher meetings. Ooh. Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Now. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and then like with that too, I talk about how to build a brand online and why that's so important. Um. And then I interviewed my friend who wrote a, a nonfiction book, um, more of like a how to self help. He wrote it in twenty four hours, and so he gives the whole template for that. Whereas I give you the whole template on how to come up with conception of idea to actually writing a book. That sounds so fascinating because for me, I'm a huge perfectionist. And my big problem is I will write something down and then I'll go back over it, re-edit it and keep re-editing the same thing over and over again because I think that it's not going to be good enough to be released. Or I think it's that fear, you know, like you never actually, because you're putting yourself out there and in in word form, like it's... right but I want to do it. Like I want to get this book out, the first one out because yeah. I believe that there's, there's so much power to it. There's so much knowledge. And even though I'm only 23, 20, 24 on Saturday, there's a lot in there. Wait, this past Saturday or upcoming? This upcoming Saturday. Oh my God. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I've, I've had quite the, quite the journey. Um, like if mm. I was to share with you, half the things that I've been through, your, your draw might actually drop on the floor. Like you're still here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think being able to go through all that, come out the other side, still be positive and everything that I'm doing at the moment to help others. I think that's important for people yeah. to see. I just need to actually get over the fear of the perfectionistic nature so let me give you a few tips and anyone that's listening to this too, it will, it will help because I, I recently did a YouTube video on how to get over self doubt and imposter syndrome. Mm. And this has to do also, and I'll give you a direct tip for the book, but the, the number one way to get over self doubt and imposter syndrome is action. And it's the thing that scares us the most. We're like, oh, I can't do it. And it's like, nope, you just, you literally just have to do it. And you break it into small chunks, but it's action. So when it comes to the book, what I say, never, ever, ever edit it after you've written it until you're at the actual editing stage and the entire book is done. So never change something there in the moment because more will come out and you'll add it and change it. Um, the other thing, and I have a deep belief on this, whatever comes out and the more you meditate and get like centered and aligned, whatever you wrote as that first take was exactly what was meant to come out. Ah. Right. Even if the grammar is shocking. (laughs) So that's why you don't, don't do any editing on grammar, on spelling, on sentences, because when we're in that state of alignment and you sit down, and even if you think it's awful, normally what comes is, and you can keep writing and adding to it later, but so never edit it until the entire book is done. I like that tip. Thank you. I needed. I You're needed, welcome. I needed to hear that. Um, this is going to be a masterclass for people how to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Well, it's, it's, it's not just that. It's like, 
because how we do anything is how we do everything. Yeah. Right. So, so how we get up in the morning, like if you're someone who slams on the alarm and sets it off multiple times and doesn't make your bed, it's like, well, that's showing up in your life in other ways. If you're someone that's a perfectionist by nature, you're like, okay, I got to make this, 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 this. And it's like, you don't allow any space for creativity in that place when it's perfectionism. So it's not just about writing a book. It's, it's literally about like, if you're trying to find a relationship or you're trying to be better at business or you, you know, want to do some inner self work, it's, you have to take a step back and realize that like kind of the self work, like you can't edit the self work while it's going on. You can only kind of look back and be like, oh, that's what I went through. Mm. Mm. So true. So very true. I want to ask you about these diets. So the five-day detox, Why you went on a, you personally went on a five-day detox, right? And you found that at the end of the five days, it worked for you. And you went to doctors and everything like that. You found that the doctor's knowledge and expertise on this was actually sound. And, and But what's actually involved with the five-day detox? Yeah, so um, it is, it's five meals a day for five days. It's based on this concept of crowding in, right? So most diets and detoxes have you taking things out. And I know that when you take something out, if you don't replace it with something better, you will fail. Point Mm -hmm. blank. That's why people fail when they try to get off alcohol or cigarettes or diet, because it's like, oh, I'm not going to have this. Cool. Well, what are you going to have instead when the craving comes? (laughs) So you eat a very hearty meal at the beginning. Um, You then have a snack. So like, for example, um, you love pancakes. And I, I named them love pancakes because most people have a bad association with them. And I was like, screw that. Like you can eat pancakes and still lose weight and feel great. So you have love pancakes with lots of fruit and, um, you know, all of your macros are balanced at every meal. And then snack is homemade hummus with, you know, cucumber slices, whatever, but all the meat. So you take out salt, but all of the meals have so much flavor from the herbs and spices that you, you actually like, yes, you might miss it a little bit, but after day one, your palate completely changes and you know, literally day two, all your cravings are gone. So normally when someone does a diet or a cleanse by day five, they're like, like, I remember I did a five day juice cleanse at a retreat center and I got home. I, I think I was like eating the plate. Like I was like <laughs> licking the plate. I was like, oh, I gained so much weight after okay. the detox. And I was like, well, that was stupid. Right. Mm. So then you have lunch and lunch is is always something more raw. So like you do sushi rolls with cauliflower, rice, and quinoa. I teach you how to roll the sushi um, or the sushi rolls. You do, um, yeah, salads. And then you have a snack and the snacks are always like fruit and nuts and cinnamon because it helps uh, regulate blood sugar. And at that moment, we need need sugar, we need the cinnamon to help regulate it. And then you need something crunchy and you have it with a green tea to help boost your caffeine levels or your whatever. and then dinner is always a cooked meal. So it's like a stir fry or roasted red peppers or a taco bowl. And you have, and it's it's all based on Ayurvedic principles where your, your stomach is the weakest digestion at night. And it's the strongest digestion, meaning that you can digest raw foods much better at lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason people, why people get really bloated is they're eating the wrong meals at incorrect times. So 
if you're having a raw, a big, big raw salad at dinner, although it's good, if you ever say, oh, I, my belly's really bloated, that's because your digestion weakens because your, your body's trying to go into calming, go to bed. And when we're sleeping, our body doesn't digest food. It, it kind of shuts off. Like we talked about fight or flight last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's based on all these different principles. It's based on tons of, you know, obviously water, but lemon and apple cider vinegar and balsamic vinegar and olive oil and mint and fennel tea. And then you get like loads of fruit. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's such a balanced meal that at the end of five days, I've never had someone come to me and say, you know, I was craving a pizza when I finished it. Not one time has someone said that. Cause I noticed when, you know, cause with my diet at the moment, I can't, I'm not big on dinner because I noticed that I'm big on breakfast and I'm big on lunch as well. But my, my eating patterns. So I, I finished my last meal at probably about four o'clock in the afternoon, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm like full. I'm not starving or anything like that around come around six or seven o'clock, which is like dinner time. And I'm able to sleep, get up the next morning at four o'clock in the morning, go for a run, do my exercise. And I'm not dying of starvation and come about eight o'clock in the morning, I can have a big breakfast and then say around 12, I can eat a bigger lunch or, you know, something that's something that's filling. And there's a lot of research and I've done a lot of talks with people about intermittent fasting. Do you agree with that, that, that way of thinking? I, I do and I don't. And let me explain why. So what you're doing, you've managed to hack it for your lifestyle. And you are so <laughs> correct that when you have a non-existent or smaller dinner, the body actually, if you can get over the hunger pains that you have at the beginning, your body does end up rejuvenating itself much more to the point where, as you said, like you wake up with energy. So I, I tend to fast. I have dinner mostly, and then I'll fast until like 1 p.m. the next day, not on purpose. I just have more energy that way. And mm-hmm. so as you and I have gone through eating disorders, there was right always this obsession about food. I'm like, oh my God, when's my next meal? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so the, the reason I do and I don't agree with fasting, I agree because it is tremendously healthy for the body. That being said, if anyone has any sort of disordered eating, I do not recommend it because it's more likely to put you back into that mental headspace of restriction. And mm-hmm. when you're in restriction, all these bad things happen. Whereas when you have a healthy relationship with food, like for example, if you were really hungry tonight or you know, by the end of your day, you'd probably be like, all right, cool. Well, I'm really hungry. I'm, I'm going to eat, mm-hmm. right? Instead of it being like, oh my God, I, I can't eat because I'm on this program. So for me, like when I fast, I do just because I'm not hungry. And I'm like, I'm just going to eat eat when my body tells me that it's hungry and then I'm going to eat whatever I want. And so by doing that, I'm still eating really healthy meals, but oftentimes what people do is they fast and then they're so hungry by the time they eat that they eat the wrong things. And so I say to people, I'd rather have you do my detox and learn to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And the thing, if you fast too often, it can also mess up your, your uh, metabolism if you then, let's say, have a big dinner, then you're like, oh, shit, like I feel awful the next day. So it's good to, you know, make ebb and flow. It's the same with lifting weights. Like you can't lift the same amount of weight every single day. 
and then your body just plateaus. It's the same with your metabolism. You have to kind of keep it guessing, but the, the gut is the second brain. There's more nerves in your gut than there is anywhere else in the body. And so if you're not listening to it, loving it, nurturing it, you know, dealing with fight or flight, parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, then it's, it almost doesn't matter if you're fasting or not because mm. you have so much stress going on. But if you are fasting correctly with the right foods, drinking loads of water, doing it because you love your body, not because you're restricting and hate it, 100%, I think fasting is a good idea. I that like, was a, a long, a lot. <laughs> it's, it's so good, like, because I know for me, if I am hungry, like, I will eat dinner. But if I'm not hungry, I'm not going to force myself to eat dinner. Right. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you've got to get to your calories, you've got to do all that. But hey, if your body's telling you that you're not hungry, then don't force yourself to eat. Like, I had a conversation with a lady who's very, very good with hormones and she's yeah. talking about pain and how pain is your body will tell you something. It, it will say to you, hey, this is not right and it's in the form of pain. So if you're feeling full, bloated, that is not a good thing. So don't eat overextend it because your body's like a, a balloon, right? It like it extends with the little nerves and each time you eat, it expands even more. So your body's like using so much energy, yes, to, to um, digest that food, but it's also, it's also keeping energy. It's also storing energy at the same time. So if you're constantly, constantly eating without any break, you're not giving your body a, a chance to actually digest all that food. And if you're eating constantly junk food as well, that's going to impact your mood. It's going to impact your hormones. It's going to impact every aspect of your body. So I guess what I want to ask you, Nikki, is these superfoods that you talked about before, I'm curious in because I'm not, okay, I'm not a vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I, I eat whole foods. I eat organic foods, but oftentimes like that's what me and my mom do at the moment too, is we eat plant-based organic foods, but we eat meat as well. So, but what I want to ask you is what are these superfoods that are good for us? Like, can you mention some? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I get asked all the time, like, what am I? They're like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? They're like, well, what are you? Are you a vegan? I'm like, I eat food. Yes. That, that's it. Right. Um, so I, I call myself a cheating vegan. <laughs> I think I figured it, 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 it's allowed because it's allowed in my life. Right. So I'm like, I don't, I don't care what other people, and this is where I've done the self work to not care what other people think of me because I know that I'm showing up with love and light in everything that I do. And I'm like, I'm not trying to piss you off by saying that I'm just living my life because that works for me. So I eat plant-based vegan, mostly 90% of the time. Do I still love really high quality cheese from Italy? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. And there's a whole, we can go into it, but there's, there's a whole thing about the energetics behind food and, and like how much energy is put behind it. I can tell you the, the last time I ever ate Taco Bell and McDonald's, it, that's an interesting story. Um, but the, uh, I'm, I'm just looking through my, my book here to see, I want to get to one specific thing and show you. Um, but the whole thing with, with that is it's like, 
you should eat whatever works for your body. Mm. That's it. Right. Like, and I teach people like with the detox and with the meal prep book is that if you are eating mainly plant-based things that come from the earth, right? So like quinoa, sweet potatoes, black beans, bananas, avocado, like those all come from the earth. Okay. They didn't need to be processed by anyone in order to become the ingredient that they are. Now you have something like cheese that unless you're in Italy old school, which if you're doing that, the cheese is totally fine for you because it has all the probiotics and prebiotics. It's when it has to go through a plant and they start to take things out and add things like the cheese that we eat today is not really cheese. Mm. So that, and the same with meat is like, if you're going out and catching the elk by yourself and you're going to go use all the things of the elk, hundred percent, you go do that. Cause it's actually really good for you. But if you're going and buying organic meat and you won't eat this other type, or you don't even eat organic, I'm like, just, just don't even bother at that point. Mm. Because especially if someone's not eating organic meat, I say, do not bother eating it. Chicken, mm. meat, fish, eggs. If you're not buying pasture raised, um, wild caught, organic, free range, whatever, just don't eat it because it's so much worse for your body in that case. But yeah, so um, I'm I'm a cheating vegan. And what's, that, what's that when the packet says no added nitrates or no oh. added hormones? It doesn't mean there's nothing in there. It means that they just haven't added to it. Right. I think they just added there as sort of like a nice visual incentive for people that are kind of naive to think that, oh, look, there's no added stuff. It means there's nothing in there. No, no, no. There's still nitrates. There's still additives. There's still all this stuff, yeah. rubbish in it. What you got to look for is the actual proper organic, right. proper foods. And it may be, this is what I don't get, Nikki. Why is organic food so expensive as opposed to junk food? You know, like... Be- the reason being is because they use pesticides and all of these things on it to make sure that there's no bugs and all of that. And so by doing that, they're able to grow more of it quicker and, and process it and get it out. So when it's organic, they're not allowed to use all these pesticides, which means they have to tend to it more. So that's more manpower. They have to use, you know, better shading things and all of that. And so it's the very nature of until we change what the industry is, unfortunately, that's just the way it is uh, for for organic. That being said, going to your local farmer's market, normally things are pretty cheap. Um, I will say the other thing that people don't really realize is like, yeah, there might not be any added, hor- no hormones. Well, you do know that the ch- if it's not organic, the, no added hormones, right? No added hormones. The chickens are raised with hormones in them to help them bulk up and get fatter. They have antibiotics inside of them. Where do those go? They don't pee them out. It's inside the chicken. And so here's the other thing that happens. It's the energy of food. When, when you kill a chicken and you, you know they have to chop off the head of it, the, and other chickens can hear it, cows the same, but chickens, because they already have a very frenzy energy, that's why they, um, fun little side tangent. So in, in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, they believe that the energetics of food is how it affects you. So when you're feeling sick, the reason that you eat a chicken noodle soup is because the vibration of a chicken is very energetic and it's literally raising your vibration to that. 
That's why when you have winter time in a cold or like a hot stew with meat, it's because those are slow moving animals. And so it's slowing you down. So you, people need to start to understand that food is not just the food you eat. Food is the energetic. So like when you, when you kill a chicken in these factory farms, well, what, ha- what happens if you think someone's breaking into your house? Are you going to freak out and tense up? Or are you like, yeah, I'm cool. <laughs> You're going to freak out, right? So you freak out. And when that happens, all that cortisol goes in your body. And then guess what happens when that? The cortisol stays in your body. So you eating that piece of chicken that's not organic, you're getting all those stress hormones as well. Mm. So the food that we eat, I, you know, if I could educate people on this just day in and day out, it's like, it's not just about what, what should you eat? It's where was it made? How was it prepared? How was it killed if you're going to do that? Um, okay. So going back to, you know, what are some like super foods? Um, I told you, I broke it down into different sections. So like this, for example, is I'm showing a photo for anyone listening, um, the super vegetables. And I talk about like, you've heard of them. You already know they're great, but like garlic and sweet potato and beets and tomatoes and, um, you know, jicama and alfalfa sprouts and seeds. So yeah, broccoli. And so one of the, a, a few kind of key points here is the brighter it is in color, the better it is for you. And that's why I'm constantly saying count colors, count colors, count colors, because every single color itself is associated with something in your body. So beets, for example, are one of the best blood cleansers. They help push things, move things. Well, what color is a beet? A beet is bright purple, which is the same color as your your blood. Mm. Then you have tomatoes. Well, tomatoes help your heart. What color are they? Red. Then you have things like walnuts. And so oftentimes um, the the actual food is correlated the way that it looks to that body part. So walnuts. Well, walnuts look like a little mini brain. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly good for your brain. Um, the I, I might be missing this up. Uh, your kid, I think it's your kidneys. Avocados are kind of shaped like the kidney. They're great for your kidneys. So uh, uh, carrots, for example the beta carotene in carrots, great for your eyes. And they look, when you cut in a carrot, it looks like the iris of an eye. So anything that looks like it could, like it's really cool looking, just think of it, that's really good for my body. Anything that's really bright in color, blueberries, strawberries, sweet potatoes, yams, anything like zucchini, right? The best part of the zucchini and the cucumber is the skin. That's where all the nutrients are held. So when people are like, peeling the skin off of apples. I'm like, mate, I mean, no, just no. So like juicing apples. Is the skin like seriously is the crunch. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's well. And then like people juice apples and I'm like, well, fine. I get that you're like doing it for the sweetness nutrients, but like you've just, so the, the nature did something so amazing. They gave us an apple that had what, eight or nine grams of sugar in this one apple. And people are like, oh my gosh. Like, mm-hmm. But here's what happened that nature did. It is, the sugar is in this thing that you have to you know, chew a lot and swallow. And so for all the grams of sugar that you're getting, you have all the fiber that helps carry it to the right places and then out the digestive tract. When you take away from that and you're getting rid of the skin, well, yeah, okay, fine. You're still getting fiber, but you're taking away all those nutrients. Mm-hmm. And then it, let's say you juice it, 
well, you've just taken away all the fiber. So your body doesn't process the sugar in the same way. Suddenly that's going to go straight to your bloodstream instead of being digested in the, the correct way. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of juicing. Um, like the whole celery juice craze is like celery is one of the most powerful vegetables you can have. Are you going to see the benefit only from juicing it? No, eating it, but you have to make sure it's organic. That's um, the on the dirty dozen. You so you get organic uh, spinach, organic uh, celery. Put it in a blender with water. Drink it as a smoothie. Boom, you're good. Mm. I used to have to drink celery juice for my kidneys. Yeah. The doctor told me she's like, oh, this this one piece of vegetable is is great for you. I used to hate drinking the stuff. It was the worst thing in the world. And I used to have to eat it. Mom used to put it in uh, soups. And mm. I, was, I was like cringing every single time I ate the stuff. But nowadays, you know, if you slow cook celery, all the flavor gets mixed yeah. with the actual meat and the stock, everything like that. And it actually digests so much better. It's good for the entire body, not just one yeah. area. And I like the the diet thing that you mentioned about because I watched a documentary of someone uh, he was actually overweight and he went on that juice cleanse so he ended up losing a lot mm-hmm. of weight to start off with but then what he noticed was that he ended up starting putting it back on pretty quickly and he couldn't figure out yep. why so then he had to actually go and consult more doctors and doctors told him hey look you can't just juice it up. Because your body, it's just your body is pretty much eighty percent water. So, you know, like you, you're doing more damage to your body by juicing it. Your body's not getting enough nutrients. It's designed to chew. Part of digestion yeah. is the chewing aspect it's because it regulates all the muscles and everything in your stomach to say, "Hey, look, wake up, let's do this," and get your digest digestive tract going. And what I've always thought, like. People seem to shy away from your stools and, and crap and all that, but it's actually <laughs> yeah. it's actually so vital, you know, yeah. seeing if you've got a healthy gut. And yeah. It, it's amazing how all that plays into each other. I mean, it's... It, it's. I mean, I'm laughing because we are, we're so like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about pooping. And I have a really, I'm going to like throw myself under the the bus here. I have a really funny story when I was a little kid that my mom couldn't find me. And I was in the closet and I would always go in the closet when I needed to poop in my diapers. And I would sit there and go, (laughs) because I didn't want anyone to see me because apparently at three years old, I was still really embarrassed about it. And then as I got, obviously like, I don't want to do that in front of people now, but I'm like, you know what? any boyfriend I've ever had, I'm like, so let's talk about your poop, honey. They're like, what? I'm like, no, like, seriously, I can tell you're bloated right now. What's going on. And, and it's cool though, because I've kind of normalized it. Like all of my friends come to me and they're like, all right, Nikki, I'm constipated. My stools are loose. Or I'm like, okay, cool. Let's like, I I kind of feel like a gynecologist. So for the men out there listening, they're like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Gynecologist was when you open a woman's legs and you look inside of her, you know, down there region to make sure it's healthy. Mm. So I feel like that in a sense, it's like I'm desensitized to, to like pooping and all these things. Cause I'm like, it's part of the body. We need to do it. We shouldn't not be talking about it. And the more you talk about it, the more you start to see like, is this healthy? Is this normal? Is this not? And, 
And I think that we've gotten to this place in nutrition. Why there's so much confusion is because nobody wants to talk about all the things they don't know. And they're too scared to be like, so I've really like, I had horrendous acne on my back and my butt at one point. That's when I went on Roaccutane, Accutane for American listeners. And, and I was like, you know, 16 years old, like acne on my butt. And then you get to a point where you're like, well, there's a reason that's happening. Let's talk about it, not just put you on a pill. Mm. And so now, like if I break out now, if I get a headache, I know there's a reason why. And I'm able to literally trace back to what I did or didn't do. And that's where we should be getting with health. And that's, that's, as we spoke last time, like, that's my mission. Make health sexy. Let's talk about poop, guys. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I like having these kind of conversations because, you know, like I want to make it normal uh, to talk about all this stuff. So it actually helps people because a lot of the time they shy away from it, like you were saying, and I shied away from it for such a long time. And if I can be vulnerable for a moment too, like this might be a bit for people that listen to it, but it's so important to understand for in 2017, I was not going to the toilet properly at all. Like I was in absolute agony every single time that I went, yet I was still doing the same stupid, repetitive things that I was doing with my diet, with uh, exercise, you name it. I was eating a a one kilo bag of spinach a day. Uh, I made cheese sauce. I, I, I didn't have enough meat. I didn't have enough like fiber at all. And it was just all like diarrhea. It was painful. It burned. Mm -hmm. It was terrible. And that happened on even on the cruise that we went on. Um, I always say, like, I feel sorry for the cruise liner destroying the the actual toilet. <laughs> cruise liner. <laughs> so what what was it for you? What did you find out? I actually had a combination of things. So I had a blocked bowel. Um yeah. and then it was so backed up, it was like a rock. Like yeah. nothing, nothing would like move. Um they I was in hospital for nine days and they had to, in that nine day period, for the first four days, they gave me pretty much everything under the sun to unblock it, which was extremely painful. Yeah. Everything that I valued the most, Nikki, which is like one of the things, which was my dignity, just <laughs> ripped yeah. from me. And I felt sorry for the nurses too. Like <laughs> it was just, yeah. Um, but that didn't work for the first four days. And then, I went home for about a week, still same bloated stomach, still Mm -hmm. went for runs, still did the stupid things, didn't learn my lesson. And then I went to the doctors on the Saturday. The doctor said to me, you've got to go to hospital. Um, But this time I'm sending you to a a gastroenterologist. They're going to actually probably get get to the bottom of this. Remember, he was an older gentleman and uh, I was sitting in the bed. And the first thing he said to me was, what's wrong with you, Jay? And I'm like, I've got this, this, and this. I was explaining all my symptoms. He's like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to blast your, your, uh, your stomach and your digestive tract with all the stuff that we give our colonoscopy patients, but we're going to up it. Like we're going to increase the dosage to make it even worse. And we're going to literally get rid of that thing. And he's like, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be extremely painful, but we're going to do it. And I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Okay. Wow. For five days, Nikki, it was like the worst. The worst. <laughs> um, but yeah, at the end of it, I ended up having 
my my body had to re it was like a system shutting itself yeah. down and then resetting itself but yeah. then at the, at the end of the reset i was still stupid because i didn't get my mindset right I yeah myself you know i'm going to get myself correct and that's where i learned how to cook but even even though i learned how to cook and i knew all the nutrients i knew all that sort of stuff because i educated myself i still needed to fix that little voice in my head telling yeah. me there's a problem with food you know and um so i ended up having ibs and yeah. SIBO, so small intestinal yep. bacterial overgrowth for those people that don't know what it is. Um, and it makes you crave sugar, like yep. unbelievable amounts of sugar. So what I used to do, Nikki, you're going to laugh at this again, is sit on the couch with a two-liter tub of ice cream, cookies, donuts, the whole bit, sit there, smash the whole thing, wouldn't gain any ounce of weight. Now, for those people listening, they're like, what's wrong with that? Like you're not gaining any weight, you're yeah. everything out of the sun. No, it it did more damage to my system yeah. than it did good. And I had to go see a naturopath and I was like, ooh, we're at naturopath, no way. <laughs> but I listened to my mom and thank, thank God I did because the one thing that I had to do, which you mentioned, the one superfood that I had to literally eat literally like it was, was garlic. Oh, garlic, yeah. Just yeah. eat garlic, raw garlic. Yeah. My breath stank. But yeah. it actually worked. It was like all these natural ingredients helping yeah. out the body, which is how it was meant to be. I think all this synthetic rubbish, it yeah. makes it even worse. It's like a it's like a patch to the real problem. Exactly. And what I'm going to say to that is, it, especially when you get to that next level of like IBS. And so we talked about this last time of, well, what's disease? Disease is dis-ease in the body. And your body's literally notifying you along the way, being like, hey, I'm getting a headache. Or, hey, I'm getting a stomachache. Hey, I have another stomachache. Hey, I'm constipated. I'm still constipated. Hey, you don't have energy. Like, and the body, and then we're like, wait, I, I, got, I got heart disease. Where did that come from? You know, and you're like, eh, the, the body was like telling you. And so what I find interesting is like with, with IBS and things of that nature is that your gut microbiome is, as we said, the second, second brain, it is probably the most important thing in your entire body. And we, we tend to underfeed it probiotics and prebiotics. And so then your gut flora goes out of whack, which is then when you get like IBS, for example. Um, and so, yeah, taking a probiotic and prebiotic every day, 100%. I don't take those supplements right now because my diet is so rich in foods that have natural probiotics, right? And I do that. So another little example here is like, People come to me, they're like, oh, I don't drink enough water, but I really, I, I'm pretty good. I've been drinking a lot of LaCroix and sparkling soda. And I'm like, well, are you bloated ever? They're like, yeah, I don't know why. I'm like, well, just to let you know, you're putting a lot of, a lot of gas and bubbles in your body. And so then what happens like with soda water or champagne or beer or anything fizzy is that your body basically holds a gas bubble and then everything starts to build up on top of that. Mm. And then you don't use the toilet and then it gets bigger and then it becomes harder. So the only way literally to get rid of that is actually getting a colonic to remove all these gas bubbles. But when you get so in tune, for example, with your body, like for me, I know if I have a glass of champagne that 100% the next day I'm going to be bloated and I'm going to, as soon as I eat after drinking champagne, my body's going to then blow up. Because you're dehydrating itself, you're giving it all these gassy and bubbles. 
And so it's just starting to know like, are soda waters bad? No, but should you be having them in replacement of water? No. And then even better than that, if you don't like water, it's like, I always say to people, get a a big, like one liter, 1.5 liter, put a mint tea bag or a fennel tea bag in, put it, like take it out of the fridge, let it steep for like 20 minutes. It steeps the exact same. You take the tea bag out. You now are drinking fennel tea, which is a godsend to help your digestive tract and move things out. And so like I start geeking out as much we talked about, you know, mindset last time. Then when it comes to food, I geek out too. And I'm like, I want to tell everyone everything right now because I'm like, people are so fucking confused. And what I found is I kind of have this way with words that I'm able to unconfuse people. But I'm like, it took a lot of years and knowledge and and like studies because I'm, it's just, it's crazy because then people are like, well, I have IBS, I'm not allowed to eat this, this, this. And it's like, but have you worked with your mind at all on your stress levels? They're like, oh no, 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 I'm just doing the diet. And I'm like, Like I had candida, for example, for two years, I had candida. It was really, really bad candida. And I did everything you could in terms of the supplements. And I was taking them consistently. I was putting, you know, vaginal suppositories up there and like natural ones, coconut oil, this, that, the other. Um, The only thing I refused to do was the actual candida diet because it's, even though it's very uh, alkaline and great for your body, it's super restrictive. And the moment you come off of something like that, your body's going to go back into its normal state. So how did I heal my candida? I healed it by working on my mind. Mm. When I, when I healed the mind, every single issue went away in my body. And so now like, I know that if, if I start getting more BO, I'm like, all right, cool. What have I been doing or not doing? Like, have I not been eating as clean? Because your body in its natural state does not need any sort of perfume or deodorant, you should not be getting BO. The human body produces BO as toxin removal for the shit you're putting in it. Ah, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. I just thought, you know, because when I when I went out for a run, get back home, you know, because I'm sweating up a storm, get back home, mum goes, you stink. <laughs> I always thought that it was like the exertion of, Oh, so much, but the so, toxic removal actually. So, so it is right. Like when you're sweating and running heavily and you're, yes, because then what happens is the sweat sticks and it's, it, and, and the thing is you don't take a shower right before you run. Mm. Right. So it's like, it's the, it's the, the skin is constantly shedding itself. And so when the skin is there and then we're sweating, what I'm saying more so is like throughout the day, if you're yeah. profusely sweating in your armpits and it's smelling, that is your body telling you, you are not in an alkaline state. How do you get to an alkaline state? You do my detox, seriously. Uh, you start including green juices in the morning. You start to understand, all right, well, where's my mental state? Am I really stressed out? Am I not sleeping enough? Like the body is the most amazing thing ever on this planet. And we treat it like shit, yeah. where in fact, we need to be understanding that like I get asked all the time, Oh, well, what about detoxing? Your body's so good at naturally detoxing. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is. It is profoundly good at detoxing. However, the human body was not designed to be detoxing the hormones and the antibiotics they put in chicken and all these things. 
It is not meant to be detoxing all this big sugar and different chemicals that they put in your sodas. It does not know how to detox alcohol correctly. And so fine, you know, once or twice a week, you're drinking alcohol. Yeah, your body does a pretty good job. But it's when you consistently build on, I live in a place with lots of pollution. Like I live in a big city. Okay, well, there's that. I have a very stressful lifestyle. Okay, there's that. I don't get enough sleep. There's that. I don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. There's that. I don't use the toilet correctly. And when you're not using the toilet correctly, well, where's all that stuff going that you ate? It Mm -hmm. starts to get absorbed into the bloodstream. And that's why we get breakouts. That's why we get circles under the eyes. And, and, uh, you know, you get lines there. That's why your face just looks like dull. So there's all these different layers that it's like getting, you know, getting the body you want. Yes, food will help. I actually just did a post about this, that it's all about the mindset that you have will literally change everything else. You Mm -hmm. will have to work less hard and get more results when you focus on the mindset versus what you're actually eating. So very true. I mean, Tony Robbins talks about it. So many people actually speak about you get your mind right, then everything else will just be like a flow on effect. Your mind is so powerful. So why do we treat it like crap? You know, it's your biggest, your biggest advocate, you know, like, but we're making it our biggest enemy. You know, we are our own worst enemy, not anybody else. We play the victim. We, we think that it's other people's fault. You know, we play the blame game too, but no, it's not. It's look at your life. Look at what you have done. Look at all the things that you're thinking right now and think, is that right? Or is there another way? There's always going to be another way. You just got to come up with it. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for anyone to do is get educated. If you don't know, listen to podcasts, go to Nikki's website, read her book for goodness sake, you know, do all these sort of things that are going to improve not just your life, but when you improve your life, you're able to help other people as well. So important. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a funny question for you before we wrap things up, which is what is the weirdest food combination you've ever tried? Oh, I have a great answer for that one. Oh God, that came to me so quickly. Uh, So I lived in China I was modeling out in Shanghai for a few months and I went, I I asked uh, my agency, you know, where can I get the best dumplings? I really was excited. I went by myself and they gave me, you know, this one place It was written on a a little card, went there and they said, order these two things, right? Perfect. Love it. So I ordered them thinking they were vegetarian. Awesome. As they should have been, because that's what I ordered. And I got them and I was super excited, really like authentic place and took my little chopsticks and my dumpling dipped in the sauce. And I took a bite, started chewing. Um, There were worms in the dumpling. (laughs) Your face. (laughs) And I, not even like just worms, they were like crunchy worms. I was like, what in the actual did that? I was traumatized. Were they actually moving? They were alive. No, they. I think they were dead, but I didn't know. They apparently were like baked into the dumpling or whatever. And I was like, yep, nope, I'm done. I'm done with China. I'm by. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was like the weirdest combination that I like did not mean to try. Um, In terms of, I'm trying to think if I like, 
No, I mean, I've eaten, I, I'm not an adventurous eater. Let's put it that way. I'm like, I like my things and I don't want to, I'm, I would never like put me on fear factor. I would quit before I even got to level one. I don't even know how people do that. Seriously. Like there's um, a couple of Filipino friends of mine have tried to get me to eat balut and I don't want anything to do with that. Like, and, and um, there's one guy I was selling real estate real quickly and he was Filipino and we ended up getting into food and balut as well. And he was telling us or telling me basically that he eats but look like it's going out of fashion. Like he just gets them constantly, keeps eating them. I'm like, oh, oh no. Because I'm the no. same way. I'm like, I have my set foods that I yeah. like to eat. I know it's not much, but I, I like having them. Um, yeah. Like peanut butter, for example. I can probably sit there and eat an entire jar of peanut butter a day and it won't affect me because yeah. I love the stuff. But here's the thing that I do. Do you put butter with peanut butter and cheese? Never. Give that a go. No, that sounds interesting. I will probably not <laughs> try that, but no, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. But all right, all right. The, the tastes work. Like it's okay. It's strange. I, I, I trust. I trust. Awesome. Well, Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you again for part two. If anyone part two, any we did it. <laughs> Uh, they can send it in as well. Go follow Nikki, buy her book. Where can people purchase your book? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, anywhere the books are sold. And then obviously through my website and uh, NikkiSharp.com and on my Instagram. And it'll all be in the show notes below. Nikki, thank you again for coming on the Storybox podcast. Love is coming. I loved it too. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.